You're listening to the Songwriter's Diary. This episode features Balmohan Shingade. Balmohan is a writer, curator, community researcher, and a performer of Indian classical music. Welcome to the Songwriter's Diary. You know, when you said the Tampuda only had four notes, mm. I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, mm. really? That's right. It's um, interesting because of the way that um, the resonance is achieved in that instrument. So there's a thread at the bottom of the string that is pushed and pulled to achieve that sort of wow sound, you know, that resonance. And ordinarily, if you think about like, um, you know, I have a dear friend who's a bassist. And uh, as a bassist, he talks about, well, you know, as a jazz bassist, we're taught to avoid that sort of twangy sound. We do everything in our training to avoid that. But how interesting that in your music, you do these uh, instrument techniques to achieve and amplify that sound. And so, yes, there's only four strings. And because each string is... um, plucked in such a way that it creates that sort of full resonance and blends into the next note. The idea is that a drone is created in the background where the notes are blending into each other and creating a unified uh, soundscape. And another aspect I wanted to touch on was the vocal ability. Hmm. Um, I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head what, you know, when you're going... Uh, from one note to another, back and mm-hmm. forth. Uh, what's oh, yes. that called again? Ah, right, yes. Well, you know, we've got many, many different names for that. And um, uh, one of the things about Indian classical music is that ornamentation plays such a big part. Ornamentation in our music is called alankar. And uh, alankar is also sometimes the name given to a garland, right? Like uh, if you imagine uh, ornamentation, decoration, garlands, all of this uh, idea is to kind of beautify, decorate, and also complexify and give meaning to the music. You know, it's not superficial. Sometimes in, in some traditions, ornamentation is seen as a superficial thing. But actually in our traditions, whether it be painting or music, ornamentation is a cornerstone of philosophy um, in India. So if you think about ornamentation as dress, now how important are symbols? Um, How important is how uh, a person wears their hair or wears their turban or crops their hair or grows it long? All of these symbols, all of these ornamentations are really important. And so in music, how it translates is that, as I'd said, Indian classical music developed melodically and alamkar as ornamentation plays a key role. Now, the one that you're thinking of is called gamak uh, in our music. And maybe I'll share with you a few of the ornamentations that we, you know, there's many, many, but some of the key ones. For listeners, um, what I was talking about earlier was a melisma. So it's when you're, you know, going from... uh, Say on the piano you're playing C D C D C D. Vocally it would sound like ah, but when I hear it in Hindustani music, it's a very fast, uh, yes, um, very vocally challenging. <laughs> yes, 
Yeah. It's very, it's, it's, um, I tried to do it. It's very, 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 um, I, I would need to practice for years to, to mm. do it like that. One of the things with Indian classical music is how important ornamentation is, as we were discussing earlier. And there's different ways that we go between those two notes. You know, we're describing CD, CD. So if we just take one note to the other note, one way that a piano would do it is kind of separate out those two notes to go da, 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 right? But what Indian classical music does is tries to keep a connection and it becomes ah. So those two notes are kind of conjoined together. And, uh, you know, some of the names we give it is called gamakitan. Now, let me share with you in a piece of music how it's employed like if we have um you know our tanpura going in the background some of the uh ornamentations that we use one is called meend which is like the glissando in western music uh and we might go from that employs a glissando. Now we might have katka, which is small breaks. We might have a murki, which is a small cluster of. So that a small cluster of notes gives the effect of a kind of um, emphasis. And the gamaktan or tan that you're thinking of is like um, in our music, a little pattern we could use. So, so it might be. And the notes are Because of the way that all of the notes are joined together, uh, that they flow from each other, and the attention is played to how they're connected rather than separated, you have the effect of a kind of like um, a continuous flow, I guess. So they come together like that. And if we employ maybe all of these that we've just discussed in an improvised line, we might be able to share a line like this. And again, this is totally improvised. So I'll try and incorporate meend, which is the slide, katka, which is the breaks, murki, which is the small cluster, and tan, which is the sort of um, rolling effect of notes. So a phrase might look like, Ah, 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 ah,
And you can imagine, you know, like harmony then is a kind of concept that exists in the sidelines, you know, because we're so going now deeper and deeper into melodic development, into the development of a single line and all of the notes, all of the ornamentations that come in between the notes, respecting of a single note, that it develops into quite a different kind of tradition. And that is the sort of tradition of Indian classical music. Yeah. Now I understand why Hindustani music, it's not a five-minute piece. It could go on for hours and hours and hours. Yes, absolutely. And you know, some of the music festivals in India are organized in such a way that there's just a continuous season of performers. So, you know, some of the festivals I've been to, across four days, you will have one performer and then another performer and then... Uh, because some of the raga are based on time cycles as well, then you have uh, ragas that are appropriate for each time. Now, I've been singing Yaman because of the time that they were re- that we are recording this interview, which is, or this conversation rather, the, because it's it's a kind of evening time, you know, a few hours and then it'll be sunset. But I shared with you the story of Bilas Khan and Bilas Khani Tori. Now, that is given over to the morning parts of the day. If I uh, share with you the rules of some of that uh, from a musician's perspective, it's really interesting. You know, Yaman is pretty straightforward in the sense of like one and five are not emphasized when you're going up, four are sharpened, all of them are used when you're coming back down. Bilas Khanitori is somewhat different. Can I ask, is that because uh, certain times of the day sort of evoke different feelings or emotions? Is that why? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And and they're conducive to certain kinds of moods that you want to create. And it's not only times of day, but sometimes it's season as well. Basant is a raga that is sung or performed during springtime. Um, and like that, there's some seasonal ones as well, like malhar is done during monsoon seasons. And so Bilas Khani Todi, the story of his father approving his slight slip up into a new melody, its technical rules are that the Phrygian scale, right? If you are using the modes from uh, Western music, it's the Phrygian scale. But what you do is that when you're going up, you use one, two, three, five, six. And then when you're coming back down, you're using on the other side, like nine uh, and back down. I'll sing going up and then I'll pause there and sing coming back down. So Velas Khani Tori sounds like this. So when we were coming back down, we did not sing five. 
denote pa. But when we were going up, we sang five. So sarigapada, and we omit five when we're coming back down. And so, with that sort of chalan, it's called chalan means way of walking, way of moving. You have a feel that comes about with this music. So, the improvisation in this landscape, as I like to describe it, sounds quite different to Yemen, which we've been exploring. So, here it would sound like. So it's a little bit more austere. It's a little bit more sort of a serious sounding, perhaps a little bit more mournful. Usually, it's sung just as the sun is coming up. You know, in reverence. That's how I feel when I sing this during sunrise time. It's kind of reverential、uh, sounding raga. And in each that, of that the... last one, kind of got me teary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a really beautiful raga. This one, and、um, I'm so glad to hear that it was touching because <laughs> because also it comes with that beautiful story. You know, that story is so touching. And、um, you know, we haven't talked about、um, compositions. Compositions are really interestingly used in、um, our music. They form the sort of backbone, but then as soon as they、uh, are sung, they kind of fall away and provide you the structure with which to improvise. So, we've got in our music, we're exploring Belaskani Tori right now. So, the composition, one of them, goes like this. मनवासो मेरा रिको यारे मनवासो मेरा रिको यारे हारे को प्यारे सो सजत जगत मनवासो मेरा रिको And that's the first half of the composition. As soon as someone performs that, then they just kind of let the composition come in cycles. So you might improvise. So it's used as a kind of. It's used as a kind of refrain that you keep coming back to in cycles, and then you move、mm. away from. You come back to, and you move away from. How I understood that was, say, for example, you have a four-bar sequence,、mm-hmm. and then、uh, 
the composer says for the next eight bars or for the next six bars you can improvise ah yes is yes. is that what is that what you that's saying? right yes often okay. um it's like uh compared to a is it called a head in jazz where you mm. have the uh main theme laid out in the tune of the song that is so familiar and then you've got these improvisational sections it's comparable we have this phrasing of a composition and then just a little bit is come back to again and again and sometimes in different ways in different places but yes it becomes a kind of uh, the four bar structure or the the melody the hook sometimes mm-hmm. you know that's a useful sort of comparison it's like the hook to come back to yeah so the composition how is it notated or is it notated or is it orally what's the word orally um shared or transmitted shared yes <laughs> <laughs> yes um there are more and more books um available that teachers and students use to share these compositions and i've certainly got quite a number of those books that i love referring to but ideally what happens is that you are presented it in such a way uh that it's orally first you know you get to know the raga you get to know the mood of the raga and the composition comes born out of that and then you use the notation as just a structure to refer to like i think i used the image of a scaffold sometimes you kind of need that scaffold to know where to place what you're doing and kind of know how you want to be moving around so it's useful in that way but then afterwards you kind of want to come back to how you're going to go inside that piece of music away from the notation mm that's amazing that's mm. like the opposite of western classical music you first have to learn the music study mm. the music and then you go out and perform it right right or and then you go and share it with others you know either with still with your sheet music in front of you or mm. without it that's yeah. right yes it's such a different emphasis and different form the uh role that notation has played in shaping harmonic development has been huge and that's its beautiful complexity and the role that you know these very detailed and nuanced treatment of notes uh that sometimes you can't really kind of note down in a very systematic way like if there's a line of improvisation that uses a bunch of these ornamentations it becomes quite hard to kind of stay faithful in a notation system and also because the emphasis of the music is so much on improvisation so much on creativity of that musician and her mood at that time that you want to be able to really um you know let the notations fall away after a while yeah and also like how do you even notate tone yes yes that's a good point yeah that's right and sometimes uh some of the journey as a singer for me has been about creating a tone that i'm happy with you know what's interesting is how different my own teacher sounds from the founder of our school of thought kirana gharana you know my teacher's voice is really rich resonant quite full bodied and sometimes 
the founder of our music school, Abdul Karim Khan, it's exactly the opposite. Very light and very resonant in a very high sort of way, you know, very airy. And so the ask of every musician is what will be your contribution to sound? You know, how will you arrive at your way of showing people around this landscape called Raga Yaman or Bilas Khani Todi or Marwa or Bhairavi? And, you know, one more thing about the technical part of the scale we discussed. Now, Bilas Khani Todi I described as uh, roughly Phrygian, but then we've got Bhairavi, which is, again, the same notes. But Bhairavi has the Phrygian without any encumbrance. You can use all of the notes going up and coming down. Whereas Bilas Khani Todi within Phrygian itself has these rules of, you know, don't sing four and don't sing six when you're going up, but then don't sing five when you're coming down. And some of these rules are in order to create a very different flavor of Phrygian, right? And that flavor is Bilas Khani Todi, and it's so contrast with Bhairavi, even though the notes are exactly the same. Yeah. My mind is just blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it feels like um, I don't get to talk enough about this music. So, you know, this is such a treat for me to be able to share my enthusiasm and my love for this uh, tradition of music. You know, the way I understand music, I would say unfortunately, um, and I say un- unfortunately because I have found that it does restrict me, is the way I understand mu- music is in the Western classical context. Mm. So, you know, even as you were talking, I was thinking, okay, so h- how exactly would I play that on the piano? Right. Or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of how will it make me feel when mm. I hear that. Wow. This conversation is a reminder to just feel. Yes. And forget about thinking about what sounds right. Mm. If I, I think if, if you're not thinking, you will naturally sing or play something that is right. Yes. And you know, you're so right in terms of um, after a while, a lot of the technical musical stuff just mm. kind of disappears into a feel you kind of have this sense of transcendence, like you transcend from the rules. After a while, singing Bilas Khani Todi, you don't even think at all consciously about, oh, how does it ascend and descend again? Am I using five or am I not? That just completely falls away. And Mm -hmm. I've had the good fortune of, and the real privilege of experiencing that, you know, when you're singing... Uh, a raga that you're so familiar with and that you have carved out for yourself a place within it, you kind of feel that rules fall away and you feel the kind of um, uh, real deliberate thinking around, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? You know, all of that disappears and you just kind of enjoy the dialogue that you're having and enjoy showing people around this particular landscape that you've kind of checked out its nooks and crannies and you know you asked about practice I think practice for me is kind of like exploring the city you know going for a walk going to check out where that road leads and whether I like where that road leads 
whether it connects with some of the journeys that I want to take people on, and also listening to how other musicians have explored the same raga in such different ways. Like if you ask um, you or me to show someone Tamaki Makoto, we will show them quite a different side depending on where we want to show them. This is where we hang out. This is where we live. This is where we eat. This is where we celebrate. You know, it will look like quite um, different journeys, but it's Mm. still the same landscape and city. What is your favorite raga? Oh, um, I have many favorite raga. And, um, and I think the reason they've become my favorite is the sort of relationship that I've been able to develop with them over time. Like Malkons is one of my favorite raga. It's a raga that is performed at midnight. And one of the reasons why it's become my favorite is I had a CD of Malkons that I listened to falling asleep for the best part of my teenage years. So I put, it's uh, Ustad Rashid Khan's Malkons. I used to put it in the CD and I used to just uh, listen to it and fall asleep. So Malkons has a special, Yaman has a special place in my heart because it's the very first one that I learned. And uh, uh, Lalit is so beautiful. Um, Bihag, Sohini, I would love to learn. So some of the ragas that I haven't got my head around and my heart around and my voice around are Sohini. You know, I'd really love to learn that one and actually be able to uh, become familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are some of my favorites and there's so many more. I feel like, uh, you know, as I'm... Uh, sharing with you my favorites they're like friends in some way and some of my Mm. other friends are saying hey you didn't mention me am I not your best friend (laughs) so I have that sort of guilty feeling as well by sharing some of my favorite ragas because there's there's so many that I've have this special relationship with oh thanks for sharing that and for some of our listeners who uh, would love to see you perform um where can they find you um or how can they keep up with what you're doing? Thank you for asking. So I um, have had such a long time away from performing Hindustani classical music uh, actively. I used to do it much more, maybe five, six years ago. And just during this time, a few new musicians and friends are wanting to get together and celebrate this music again. So I will be performing in Auckland next year at um, Move Space is one of the locations. I often perform with my community here. And whenever I do, I be sure to promote it on Instagram, Facebook, our website. My website is probably the best place for any current events that are going on that I'm involved with. But otherwise, Instagram is really good too. And that's open for anybody to follow. As someone who hasn't seen a live Hindustani performance, what is expected of me? You know, at the Ah. end of the performance, do I clap or do I stay silent? That's a great question. It's a very uh, expressive music. And in an Indian classical music setting, whenever there's a phrase, because it's improvised, whenever there's a phrase that someone really responds to, sometimes the clapping happens spontaneously in the middle of, a performance. And sometimes people say, wow, which means, wow, 
what a piece. Uh, or someone might say, wow, wow, which means great, great. So it's quite vocal. In a betak, you know, which is a sitting, we call, people often are very expressive about what they, are, what they like. And for musicians, we really like that. We really like the, the response because we are creating it together, it feels, you know. So often I vibe off whatever people are responding to. I can see the body language, sometimes the very vocal expression, sometimes the little clap, sometimes the nods, um, and all of that help create collectively this mood or this raga that we are wanting to create. As an audience member, you will be very free to express yourself, to kind of say, wow, to clap at the end. You will probably be expected maybe to uh, sit on the floor because oftentimes we perform the music sitting on the floor. And so you, you will be encouraged to sit right in front of us, on the floor with us, as if you're in amongst the setting. Right, and of course there'll be chairs as well for people whose knees might not be able to handle sit. it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the environment is kind of like you know, I love going to jazz concerts and jazz gigs, where you can see the double bassist or see whatever instrumentalist taking a solo, and everyone's attention kind of changes a little bit to actually follow the lines oh, where are they going with this line? How are they developing that phrase? And that's the sense in Indian classical music as well. Like people are kind of going, oh, how are they developing the line? But then sometimes what you'll also have is people just absorb in the sense that nobody's, they're not thinking about it and they're not thinking about their day, what they've just had for dinner, all the to-do lists that they've got to do over the weekend. Oh, I've got to take my children to school, whatever. All of that, they try and kind of have it fall away and just experience the sound as it's being presented to them. So it's multiple different ways to approach listening to this music. And I love this question of how to listen to Hindustani classical music, because it's such a beautiful question that uh, allows us to think about, well, we can listen to it as musicians from a technical point of view. We can listen to it as people who are experiencing sound and culture through the sound, or people who are experiencing environment, landscape, mood that is being presented or that you're helping to create by your presence as well. Thank you so, so, so much. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so thrilled to have had this conversation. And please come again anytime you want to come and have a chat. Please do, because I'm sure there's a whole lot that you still need to share to us. Oh, thank you so much. You know, one of the things that would be wonderful to talk about is the rhythm side. We haven't touched on that. So um, as you say, plenty more to talk about. And I'm looking forward to just these conversations and this sharing that can happen over time as well in our communities, across our different musical practices. And, you know, that's why I'm so grateful for your podcast as well. I've had such a pleasure uh, listening to all of the episodes that have come before um, our particular conversation and it's been a real uh, treat to kind of contribute at this time you are listening to the songwriter's diary a special thanks to bala mohan for telling us about hindustani classical music please enjoy belaskani thadi recorded and performed live in auckland by bala mohan peace and love love and light 
Makuka. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. 